All right, even before the music, even before I start, about five nights ago, I'm having insomnia, and I don't know why my mind went to this place, but it's the most ridiculous story that had me laughing in bed. I don't know if that's ever happened, just laying alone in bed laughing. Why alone? Wife was on the couch. Don't ask questions. I'll explain it some other time, but just lying there alone in bed laughing, also in agony as I'm battling insomnia, but the story took me back to when I was 11 years old, a Jewish summer camp. He's a Jewish summer camp. He's 11 years old. He brings his baseball mitt. It's day one. Now, the 11-year-olds are the young ones, but there's also like 15-year-olds at this camp, and they look like adults. And it's the first day of camp, and me and a couple of my buddies get a little free time, so we break out the mitts, break out the balls, and in our bunk... There's a bunch of Russians, a bunch of Russians from San Francisco. Hello, I'm Yevgeny. I'm really looking forward to ropes course this summer. Okay, Yevgeny, take it down a notch. But I'm out there with Max, Gideon, and Micah, just throwing the ball around. And one of the Russians comes up the hill and says, Hey guys, can I play with you? He didn't have a mitt. So right when we're about to explain to him that you need a mitt to play catch, we look at the boys' bathroom. And this big, fat teenager in a towel is walking out. He's going across this grass field in his towel right around his waist. Just belly hanging out. Looking so happy carrying his toiletries. And his shower sandals are on. He's just looking so happy. And then he looks over at us, the young kids. And he screams, hey guys, chinga tu madres. I didn't know any Spanish at that point. It's like his arms were out. He was giving us this really friendly sounding greeting. Hey guys, chinga to madres. And I just started laughing so hard. What is this? What does that mean? What language is it? And then we went on with our day. And I realized that this guy, 15 year old, big boned husky, Teenager from the older boys bunk. He was telling us, hey guys, fuck your mothers. That was how one of our summer camp experiences started. That was day one. It's not even a great story, but my brain is not functioning well. So let's just get right into it. Okay, okay, all right. Everybody just have a seat. Have a seat. All right. I am sick, and I am officially a whiny-ass bitch when I catch a cold. Can't deny it anymore. I just am. We're calling this the common cold still? Are we calling this the common cold still? This shit hits me hard. I don't like that people are so dismissive. If you tell them you caught a cold. Oh, just a common cold? No. Throat feels like hot gravel is churning inside. Just lava going down the esophagus. 
Can't really focus. Eyes are stingy, irritable, stuffy head, whatever that means. Just like you're in a fog. Cough. Phlegm. Day quill, night quill, night quill, day quill. I am in a weird dream. Cure it already. You cured impotence. You cured polio. You cured chicken pox. Cure it. Cure the damn cold. I find it to be debilitating. Sounds a little dramatic, right? I'd rather get shot in the ankle. Honestly. Because then you just go to the hospital. They probably take the bullet out. They bandage it up. You go on with your life. Maybe you have a little damage moving forward. But at least you know that it'll be fine. And I guess I know I'll be fine. Even with coughing and phlegm. Oh no. But there's a lot of other ailments. A lot of other things I'd rather have. Like if you offered me pink eye... Uh, lice or a common cold, I'd say double up on the pink eye and the lice. Those are the two things that elementary schools feared in the 80s. Pink eye and lice. No thanks. But I would take those ahead of the common cold. I'd rather step in dog shit and track it all over my home than catch a common cold. I'd rather fall into quicksand. By the way, does quicksand actually exist? Or is it just in cartoons? But I'd rather fall into quicksand than catch a common cold. I'd rather have an ingrown toenail than catch a common cold. Just thinking of other things that people might actually complain about. I'd rather have shingles, and I don't even know what shingles are, but I'd rather have shingles than a common cold. I'd rather get kicked in the nuts. That would hurt for about two and a half minutes, and then I'd just take some deep breaths. But yeah, I'd rather get kicked right in the nuts than have this common cold. It's not a good time. I'll sip that tea. Don't worry. I'll get on with the show. Get on with the show, you dumb fuck. I hear you screaming as you listen, and I don't appreciate the epithets, but I'll continue. I will. Tea with honey and lemon. I got a Ricola lozenge in my mouth. If it's unbearable to listen to me like this, then you could turn it off. You come back for episode 165, but 164 is going to be complaining of me me complaining no it's not no it's not don't worry stay with me i'm not gonna spiral downhill no i'm gonna battle back this is gonna be a good one this will be good you know what's good dope sick on hulu and i don't just mean like oh it's one of the good shows streaming right now on all of your streaming services no i actually mean dope sick is one of the best shows i've ever seen honestly it's perfectly casted It's educational. It's informative. They're probably taking a lot of liberties with a real story. Purdue Pharma pushing Oxycontin into the world. Having many people get addicted really quickly. If you don't know what it's about, it's about the opioid epidemic starring Michael Keaton. Rosario Dawson is in it. Peter Sarsgaard. But the guy who plays Richard Sackler, the devil, the villain, Richard Sackler, he talks like this the whole show. And he never looks at anyone in the eye as he's speaking to them. Well, just up the dosage, he tells them. And he occasionally pets his mastiff. It's like perfect villain casting. Whoever this actor is, he's always holding his bifocals and making big demands. Well then, let's just put out more pills and tell them it's for the breakthrough pain. Well, of course, we could tell them it's pseudo-addiction. That they are not the victims. We are. 
Richard Sackler. You piece of shit. Oh my god. Purdue Pharma to blame, of course. They pushed the product. They knew all about the dangers. But there's a couple elements to the show that are worth pointing out. Number one, the timeline, it goes back to when I was in college. When OxyContin was really starting to flood the hospitals, but also the underground street market. It was under this label of, ah, you can't get addicted. Nah, it's fine. It's fine. It'll kill your pain. And then a few years later, people are snorting it, homeless on the streets, turning to heroin. It's an ugly turn of events. But part of the show focuses on the sales people. Oh, I work in medical sales. What do you do? Well, I go into hospitals and doctor's offices and I get meetings and I tell them things about a drug that really aren't true. And then they give it to their patients and they ruin people's lives. And who are these salespeople? How are they able to get such access to doctors? That's one of my questions. And one of my good friends, Maggie, she works in medical sales. And I said, are you watching Dope Sick? And she said, yeah, that's actually what it's like. That's what it's like. You get meetings, you sell your product, you make a lot of money. How do doctors, meaning the informed people, just allow the salespeople to come in and say, hey, here's this pill, and it does this, and it's good? How are so many doctors convinced? Because they get that FDA approval. But now the FDA looks shady if you watch this show, because everybody could be bought. You could have corrupt people in any line of work any line of work where you depend on these people to be upright, respectable, honest citizens, cops, teachers, doctors, lawyers, any line of work, you'll find some shady folks. But at the FDA, if you're at the Food and Drug Administration and you're shady, corrupt, then you're going to ruin it for everybody. What do I mean by that? I now understand the skeptics a little bit. We have to wait for the FDA, right? To approve anything? Well, the FDA approved the COVID-19 vaccine. And I'm not skeptical. I'm not one of these, wait, let me just see. Let me just see before I believe it. No, I was at the front of the line. Hey, give me that shot. Give me that dose. Get me boosted. But after you watch the show, you could at least understand that some people look at the FDA, look at the government and go, I don't know what they're peddling. I don't know what they're pushing. Hold on. Need a sip of tea. There's a large percentage of people that are brought up to just trust the government. The indoctrination of America, it works. It's successful. We celebrate our government, red, white, and blue, patriotism, nationalism. And then now, I think maybe more than ever, there's enough people who are skeptical, who could look at many stories throughout history and say, I'm not sure we should just totally trust them. So the FDA looks shady allowing Purdue Pharma to run rampantly, just pushing these pills, upping the dosage, and ruining lives quickly. I remember in college, some people like to party with pills. I didn't get it myself. Since when is beer not enough? Hey, Josh, you ever done beer and Vicodin? Uh, I'm good. But the amount of young people, 19, 20, 21-year-olds, will pop a pill and then go out and party, smoke a bunch of weed, drink a 40 ounce. It's a lot throughout every college campus in America. Think about how many people just wound up dead or dropped out or addicted. This was a true epidemic. The lawyer scenes are great. The investigation scenes are great. The little personal anecdotes are great. And when I say great, I just mean well-written 
It's based on a book. But if you have Hulu, you got to watch Dope Sick. Eight episodes. You're going to want to pause it every 10 minutes and just scream, fuck, what is wrong? And the Sackler family, really no repercussions. They're going to be wealthy forever. They have nothing to worry about. No one's going to prison. They're rich enough to be above the law. That still exists in America. I don't think I'm breaking any news, but if you're wealthy enough, you're probably going to be able to navigate our judicial system pretty successfully. One thing that is amazing, and I'm not just talking about the vaccine, I'm talking about everything, is how willing people are to put things in their body because the FDA approved it or your doctor just handed it to you. Like I'm having tooth implant surgery next week and they prescribed me Norco and I said no to Norco. I'll take my chances with Advil. I think I do have a fear of anything that falls into that opiates category or anything that could get you hooked. But most people, you prescribe them something, they go full throttle. And a lot of young people just trying to get high, just trying to have fun on the weekend, would happily pop these pills. So in a sense, you could just say, the Sackler family, they're a bunch of killers. Purdue Pharma is basically a cartel. And our government is culpable. All those things are pretty much true. So these institutions that look respectable, these pillars, these fancy billionaires in their suits with their big buildings, that creates the foundation of industry, the capitalistic mess, it's not really trustworthy. If I sound naive saying this, like, wow, who knew? Then I guess I was naive. I didn't even really know much about Purdue Pharma before this. But then I Google everything and everything's discouraging. You mean they're not locked up for life and forced to give up all of their money? And all these families will just suffer forever. Another sip of tea. All right. Last week, my daughter turned four. And sometimes she likes to watch Blippy on YouTube. If you don't know Blippy, you shouldn't. I'm not giving you a recommendation. I don't like Blippy. Blippy is some fool who's probably a multimillionaire because he goes to a bunch of places in a silly voice and a silly hat with silly suspenders and silly shoes. And he jumps around in ball pits and he makes popsicles and he goes to aquariums and he's just an opportunistic YouTuber. But kids like him. He's famous. So he goes to all these like kids fun zone places. So my wife found one in Petaluma called Time Out. At the outlets, a blippy fun zone. That's what we were telling her. For your birthday, we're going to a blippy fun zone. She was so amped, so excited. My wife called five times. Are you sure you're open? Are you sure you're open on Wednesday? Are you sure you're open? It's her birthday on Wednesday. Are you sure you're open? Are you sure you're open? They say, yes, yes, we're open. We're open. We promise we're open. We get there. Big sign right on the front door. Closed. Oh, shit. The meltdown was intense. All of us. Just an immediate meltdown. Oh, closed. What do we do? So I immediately texted my friend Sarah. Sarah Lai, who's from that area and seems to know every kid's fun zone north of Novato. And she gave me a list. But on her list, she said, Chuck E. Cheese is still open in Rohnert Park. I said, Chuck E. Cheese is still open? I thought that was extinct. So I start hyping it up like it's Disneyland. I go, oh, Guess what, Myla? Chuck E. Cheese is the big rat, the ball pit, the tickets, the ski ball. I hyped it up so much. It was Disneyland. 
It was great America. We were going up the 101, heading to Chuck E. Cheese's, convincing a four-year-old that this is better than anything. Of course, we park the car, we get there, and it is Depressionville. Holy shit. I open the door. It's about six kids running around in the sky at the front who talked to me for way too long. I was like, just let us in. He was trying to describe everything. Of course, you can go in and touch the buttons and eat the pizza. And then we have prizes and the bathrooms are located. I was like, we understand how it works, pal. And he's like, here's your invisible stamp. Here's your wristband. Here's your VIP pass. Here's your new hat. Here's your vest. I was like, no, 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 no. I know all this comes with a price tag. Just the bare minimum, please. Just the bare minimum, as we all have ADD right now. We just want to get in, get out. And guess what? It ain't the Chuck E. Cheese's I remember. There's no little rave rat hole with kids mosh pitting and slam dancing. There's no animatronics anymore. There's no show with the animatronics heads playing music. There's actually no ball pit. And even though that sounds gross during a pandemic to jump in a ball pit, I would have gotten in that damn ball pit. No tickets coming out of machines. They actually had a salad bar. (laughs) I looked close. The garbanzo beans were gray. Okay. Do I need to tell you how the lettuce looked if I just told you the garbanzo beans were gray? The garbanzo beans were gray. The prizes were terrible. Temporary tattoo of a toilet. No thanks for 800 tickets. You don't even have tickets anymore. But you think I said all this out loud? No, I said, Mila, let's do it. We did everything. She had fun. And then you could hear. All of a sudden, there's a PA system on the loudspeakers. They say, who's ready for Chuck E. Cheese? And I was like, here he comes. That big ass rat is coming out. I'm telling my daughter, you're going to love this. He's coming out. He didn't. He just didn't come out. Did he have a fight with the promoter? Was the employee stoned? I was amped for Chucky to bust through those doors. So I say, I'm so sorry. Bought her an ice cream. Got her a little red purple ball to play with as if she's a puppy or something. Here's a little red ball. Here, go fetch. Attempted ski ball, but she didn't like it. She didn't like ski ball. Maybe too young. And right as we're leaving, saying goodbye, I look behind me and the fucking rat came out. Big Chuck. And this ain't the same Chucky costume that I remember. No, Chucky looked rough. Chucky looked like he got hit by the Purdue Pharma opioid epidemic. So I raced back in, got a photo. And in this photo, I'm smiling so big. And I'm like tickling my daughter, bouncing her up and down. So she has a big smile in this photo. And then there's Chucky. And if you just look at the photo, there's nothing more misleading in the history of birthday celebrations than this photo. Because she's going to look back on this photo and go, wow, we must have had a blast for my fourth birthday party at Chuck E. Cheese's. <laughs> then she'll listen to this podcast one day. Maybe, maybe not. And she'll realize, oh, I guess we didn't have a blast, but you could fake it with kids. Up until I don't know what age, but we could still fake it. Hype up any moment. Just like throughout the pandemic. Everything was closed. We go to a creek. We make the creek look like it's a big event. And it works. Parents are performers. We're all performers. And then there's going to be an age where she just looks at me like a skeptic looking at the FDA and says, I'm not sure about you. I'm not sure about this, but I still get to ride the wave of overhyping things that kind of suck, but I can still kind of get through to her. So it's fun. It's fun, folks. It's fun. No ball pit. 
No animatronics. Just shut the place down already. Put it out of its misery. But I would rather go to Chuck E. Cheese every day of my life if it meant I would never get another common cold. I'd rather just go into Chuck E. Cheese, deal with the guy at the front, play around with a red-purple ball, and leave if that was the cure to a cold. Oh, am I whiny. Oh, is he going to stop whining? Pop another Ricola, you dumb shit. Anywho, online shopping, do you do it? Of course you do. Quick question, we're looking for a bedroom accent chair, and this takes, oh, I don't know, 12 days, six hours per day, scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, Target.com and Wayfair, Amazon and Macy's, Kohl's and Baboo, babe. Looking for deals, looking for deals. We went through a few. It's so sad, right? Just feeling like you're wasting your life with online shopping, reading all these dumb reviews, looking at customer photos, and realizing, oh, the product doesn't look like the ad. Here's my only question. This is a dumb takeaway, but as you filter your online shopping experience, I'm just wondering, of all the options to filter your online shopping experience, who filters the price high to low? I mean, you know me, I'm filtering clearance deals. Mid-century modern, featured products. I'll filter a bunch, but there's also price high to low. Who's starting with the highest price? Who's that rich that does the opposite of looking for deals? There are people out there that are intentionally, they're not just looking to buy things. They want to start with the most expensive. That's the opposite of looking for deals. I only look for deals. I've never bought a pair of shoes more than 60 bucks. I asked one of my students who was wearing Jordans how much, and he said $250 for his shoes. I think Jordans are a scam. Is that a status symbol anymore? Every kid has Jordans. Is this what they want for Christmas? $250 shoes? Jordans were never $250 when I was was growing up. But with inflation, and the weirdest part is they never saw Jordan play. Okay, let me get back on topic. The topic sucks. Who prices high to low? But you almost have to be embarrassed if you're that wealthy and you're filtering your online shopping that way. I need the most expensive bedroom accent chair in all of the land. I wonder if you're filthy rich, if there's a few things that are embarrassing. Like, is it embarrassing to have a house so big that there are just rooms that no one has ever gone into? No one needs, no one sees. I don't know, but those are the people filtering high to low. Does anybody have a kid who's a picky eater? Just jumping around topics. I don't have the brain power for transitions. Does anybody have a kid who's a picky eater? Just butter noodles, white rice, cucumbers, berries. That's it. Maybe a fruit roll-up. Pack the same lunch every day. Some butter noodles, some white rice, cucumbers, cherry tomatoes. Fruit roll-up, maybe some granola, string cheese. But she's not just a picky eater. She's a finicky eater. She's a weird eater. I look at her lunch after a full day. It looks like a caterpillar was slowly eating it for a month. Tiny little teeth marks on carrots. Tiny little teeth marks on the side of a piece of rice. Very mindful eater, I guess. A half-eaten noodle. Who's going for half the noodle? The apple has like 15% of it eaten. And then just like holes around it. Was there a caterpillar in this lunchbox for a month? That's what it looks like. This doesn't look like how a human eats food. 
Can anyone relate to that? Is that too dumb, too cutesy? I, I need immediate feedback on that one. Looking at your kid's lunch at the end of the day, you go, how did you eat this? Why are there diamond shapes in the fruit roll-up? Did you eat in the shape of a diamond intentionally? Did you whittle a baby carrot down to the core? And then once it got down to the core, did you nibble the sides of it? How'd you nibble a perfect core out of a baby carrot and then only nibble on the, what the, what the fuck happened here? Maybe it's my fault. Maybe I'm not packing the delicious stuff, but parents don't pack the delicious stuff like it's 1995 anymore. Parents aren't feeding their kids. Totino's pizza rolls, bagel bites, hot pockets, preservatives and processed food. No, we need the buzzwords, organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, cage-free, free of pesticides, no Monsanto employees in the building, during the process, during the packaging process, not packaged in front of racists, not packaged in a town where people peddle drugs. Product grown in a garden featuring Buddhist monks who slowly whisper to the plants each day. Is this even an episode? I feel like I'm just staring off into this painting I have above my laptop computer. It's a good painting. It's the ocean. The last episode, I remember I talked about the many distractions at a live pro sports event. How it distracts young fans from watching the nuances of the game, the between innings, the timeouts. That's when you just get to look at the players, how they carry themselves. So as a kid, it's national anthem, it's seventh inning stretch, maybe a dot race if you're at an A's game, bloopers at a Giants game at Candlestick Park. Bloopers were great, by the way. We couldn't just go to YouTube back then. Like It was bloopers. It was like Major League Baseball is going to give you the 30 bloopers of the month. And one of them was always a pitcher who didn't get the signal from the catcher for a pitch out. If you don't know anything about sports, a pitch out is when the catcher thinks the guy on first might steal. So he's asking the pitcher to intentionally pitch out so I can stand up, catch a ball, and then zip it on down to second base. Pitch out. Maybe I defined that well, maybe not. But the pitcher didn't get the sign, so the pitcher just throws a strike into the ump's nuts, and the catcher zips out because he thought it was a pitch out. That's the best blooper out there. I remember the laugh attack I had with my friend Micah Julius watching that chunky umpire, whoever it was in the late 80s, just take a fastball right to the balls. Oh, then he drops to a knee and everyone kind of looks at him. That's the whole blooper. That's the whole blooper. Just a man getting injured. It's not even a baseball play. Actually, now that I think about it, most bloopers are just injuries, right? Hey, two outfielders collided. Collarbones shattered. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The first baseman, he's going for a pop-up, a foul ball pop fly, and he, oh, he falls right into the crowd, and he has a concussion. And 50,000 people are laughing. God, the ump taking the fastball. That's the best blooper ever. I should go on YouTube right now and just try to find that. Oh, but here's a ridiculous way to end. If I had a cell phone in my hand, and I was relying on modern-day pro sports to deliver the greatest experience where there's always a contest, all the bells and whistles and distractions so no one's really watching the players taking infield or the outfielders just playing catch. Watching major leaguers play catch is a thing of beauty. It's like art to me. 
or just watching NBA players in a timeout, for some reason that's interesting. Even the downtime in an NFL game, when you're at an NFL game, watching these guys just on the sidelines talking to coaches, all that stuff is interesting to me for some reason. But now my whole point was that a young generation is going to miss all that, all the nuances, all the little things. And case in point is Wendell Kim. Wendell Kim is the most adorable man ever created. Rest in peace. He was a Korean Hawaiian five foot four third base coach for the Giants back in the day. Some of you know who I'm talking about. Wendell Kim used to sprint to third base. He used to sprint as fast as anyone on the field was running. In game, out of game. In the Summer Olympics, no one was faster than Wendell Kim. I would have missed that. If Wendell Kim was currently a first base or third base coach and I was a little kid at the game, I wouldn't have seen little Wendell running. But if anyone listening to this podcast remembers how Wendell Kim would run out to the third base box, oh my God. That's, I mean, that's what made a Giants game of candlesticks special. Wendell Kim sprinting. I don't have any tattoos, but I think I want Wendell on my back. Google him right now and tell me that's not the cutest man you've ever seen. Oh, Wendell Kim. All right, so what did we cover? Nothing. I'm sick and I don't like it. It's not COVID though, folks. It's not. I'm vaccinated. Not boosted quite yet. I'm going to get that booster. We covered dope sick. Richard Sackler. It's breakthrough pain and we'll have them up at the dosage as he pets his mastiff and holds his bifocals. Scary villains. Sometimes when you watch something based on a true story, you want that fictional happily ever after. You didn't get it. No. That family, uh, that family's not really punished. This is the review. We talked a little bit about Chuck E. Cheese. Daughter turned four. Not getting enough sleep. Irritable. You know how you know you're irritable? If you get mad at a baby. Like if they're not helping you when you put on their six-inch pants. Their little doll pants. Their little shirt. Your onesie shirt. What is that? A doily someone cut holes in? And if their arms aren't helping you, they're doing the opposite. They're resisting going where they should when you're trying to get a kid dressed. If you get that mad, yeah, that's a good way to check yourself. How irritable are you? Now, if you're in a good mood, you just go, oh, give me that arm. Give me that arm. Give me that leg. Give me that leg. But you could gauge how irritable you are, what kind of mood you're in. If you're like, give me, the, give me that arm. Put your, put your toes in the sock. God, what's wrong with this kid? What's wrong with this kid? What's wrong with the adult? Why don't you take a breath? Let's all take a breath. I wish you peace. I wish you love. I wish you harmony. I wish you all a wonderful day. I appreciate you listening. This episode, 164. Highly forgettable, but you made it to the finish line. So I appreciate you. It's all in the books. And you know me. I'll talk to you soon.